Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Boy, if taxes weren't confusing enough, did you know we just had the most change to the tax code in 30 years? Thanks to tax reform, this year has felt even more stressful than usual. Luckily, no one knows tax reform better than H&R Block. With virtually everyone affected, there's a good chance you could use some extra help. That's why H&R Block has offices open early and late. No one makes getting your taxes done easier. No excuses. You don't even have to plan ahead. Simply walk in, make an appointment, or just drop off your tax documents and get it done. Get your taxes out the door and your maximum refund in your pocket. Don't risk your refund and let a tax pro at H&R Block prepare your taxes for you. Visit hrblock.com to find the closest office to you. If you're down to the wire, don't worry. Down to the last minute, Block has your back. This is No Excuses with John Taffer. I'm John Taffer, best-selling author, bar rescue guru, and soon your new best friend. I've got a lot of for us to talk about, so stop making excuses and let's get started because this gets real right now. All the way from the studios at Podcast One, here's John Taffer. Episode 43. I'm John Taffer. This is my No Excuses podcast. And I want to start by thanking my sponsors, Zoom Communications, True Car, and Biz Council. You know, if taxes weren't confusing enough, did you know we just had the most change to our tax codes in 30 years? Thanks to tax reform, this year has felt even more stressful than usual. And luckily, no one knows tax reform better than H&R Block. With virtually everyone affected, there's a good chance you could use some extra help. That's why H&R Block has offices open early and late. No one makes getting your taxes done easier. No excuses. You don't even have to plan ahead. Simply walk in, make an appointment, or just drop off your tax documents. Get it done. Get your taxes out the door and your maximum refund in your pocket. Don't risk your refund and let a tax pro at H&R Block prepare your taxes for you. Visit hrblock.com to find the closest office to you. If you're down to the wire, don't worry. Down to the last minute, Block has your back. Wow, what a crazy week this has been, Corey. Yeah, I bet. You've been all over. I have. So this week I started at CinemaCon, which is the international convention of cinema operators. And I did two keynotes. I don't do this often. I did the same keynote that I wrote just for them uh, twice. So I did a 45-minute keynote for the international members of CinemaCon, who are theater operators, of course, all over Europe, South America, uh, uh, Asia, etc. And then uh, later on that afternoon, a few hours later, I did a second of the same keynote to the domestic uh, uh, cinema operators. And there are a lot of companies uh, uh, that are large operators with you know 200 theaters. Uh, some had eight or ten theaters. And a couple of people had one theater. There were still some entrepreneurs around in the theater business. But what was amazing was you know I had about 2,000 people in the room, both speeches. So that's a total of about 4,000 people. Wow. This is a big convention. But the fun part was going down to the exhibit floor. And I got to see all the new theater technologies. Like there's something called ICE. ICE stands for Immersive Cinema Experience, and it's a technology. And what they do is they put vertical screens down the side walls of the theater, and they're maybe 8 or 10 feet thick, and they run ceiling to floor, and there's black space between them. So if a plane flies off on the screen, it shoots down the right or left side of the theater as well. Oh. It creates this immersive feeling. And then they've added more sound dynamics behind you and around the room. So there's there's almost uh, probably oh, 260 degrees or so of visual movement around you. Almost, wow. almost 360. Pretty damn amazing. Then I saw all the new uh, digital projection systems, which are just incredible. And now, of course, with LED technology, it's it, they're, they're much, much more efficient. Uh, uh, and brighter and and, and uh, pretty darn cool stuff. Then uh, uh, from there, after CinemaCon, I jumped on a plane, went to L.A. and uh, did something I love to do. I, I went and I saw my friend Phil McGraw, Dr. Phil, and did, a, did an episode of Dr. Phil with him, which will air sometime over the summer. I'll let everybody know when. 
And you know, it's always great to see Phil. And uh, uh, I have a, uh, a close friendship with Phil's son as well, Jim McGraw. But went and did Phil, so did the Dr. Phil show, then took a little break for a few hours, and then did the doctors, uh, uh, both in L.A. on a Paramount lot, and then came back here to Vegas and uh, did Varney on Fox Business the following morning. And the brutal part is every one of those days was like a 5 a.m. or a 4.30 a.m. start. So I'm freaking spent, buddy. Oh, man. Yeah. But uh, I'll tell you, there, there there's... Uh, Something that you you learn from so many people, and, and and there are people in your life who you just look up to, and and uh, inherently trust their goodness, trust their wisdom. Uh, Phil is one of those people for me. Uh, Phil is a really incredibly good uh, 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 friend and and a great guy. So doing his show is particularly fun for me. And then last week, uh, I think I told everybody I did the limousine convention, I did the multi-use franchise convention, and did the nightclub and bar convention. So it's been like. Beach insane uh, uh, the past couple of weeks. You know, at the Hartford, they understand that there's nothing small in small business. As a small business owner, you're busy. You have a ton of big decisions to make every day. And the last thing you want to do is worry about your small business insurance. With coverage from the Hartford, you don't have to. With over 200 years of experience and over 1 million customers, they are specialists in small business from workers' compensation to professional liability, commercial auto, and more. The Hartford offers a wide range of small business insurance products so you can keep focused on what you love, knowing that they are behind you every step of the way. Learn more at thehartford.com slash smallbusiness. It's interesting how things happen in in the uh, television business. So I've made a new show that I'm not allowed to tell anybody about yet. I've made six episodes of it. I'm not allowed to tell you much about it other than it's sort of centered on relationships. That's about as far as I can go right now. And uh, last week, uh, uh, and a few days the week before, they've been testing it. And uh, when they test television shows, it's fascinating. They'll put a bunch of people in a room, about 30, and they'll give them these little slide controls. And and if you slide it to the left, what you're watching sucks, right, Corey? If you slide (laughs) it to the right, what you're watching, uh, you really, really think is great. So it's like Uh, Tinder for new TV shows. I guess it is, right. And you're sliding left to right, left to right, left to right. And uh, uh, they then afterwards, uh, uh, based upon the scores that the uh, uh, four or five audiences, they do it four or five times, gives, then they do focus groups. And what they'll do is they'll put the people in this room and and the focus group questioner will uh, ask questions and interact with the people in the room and uh, uh, sometimes when they do it, and I'm not sure how they're doing mine, but sometimes when they do it, some networks executives sit behind one-way mirror glass, almost like an interrogation room in a police department, and so they can watch how the focus people actually react to the questions and everything that they're doing. So it's it's uh, 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 sort of fun to see uh, uh, what they come back and the comments that they're going to come back with. But uh, uh, that's the TV business, and everything is is, is so researched, and and, uh, and today... Uh, in a way, more difficult to get on the air, I think, than it was just a few years ago. I was talking about that with a friend of mine, Rick Harrison from Pawn Stars. And uh, it, it's uh, not easy to get on television today. And Internet programming and and uh, other types of programming are, are certainly options today. And good t- content finds a home, Corey. Yeah. But, but uh, it's not easy today. And speaking of today... <laughs> Today is National All is Ours Day. All is Ours. Yes, it is. No idea. (laughs) So All is Ours Day, which means you don't own a freaking thing today. Oh, okay. Everything you own is ours. It's also National Zoo Lovers Day and National, you ready? Empanada Day. Oh. So what's interesting is... Empanada. Well, based upon the fact that it's National All is Ours Day as well then it's clear to me that if you went out right now and bought yourself an empanada, I would be able to walk in there and just say, it's it's ours, buddy, and just take some of your... Anyway, I think that's incredible. So I don't yeah. know what National All is Ours Day is, but it's got a socialist kind of ring to me, right. doesn't it? So does that mean I can just walk into Walgreens and take some toothpaste or... I wouldn't try it, but, <laughs> but you know, I'd, I'd, it's a fascinating uh, national day. So that's what's going on on Monday. On Tuesday... We got a lot of stuff going on. Tuesday is National Cherish and Antique Day. So, so uh, 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 
go up to somebody who's old in the street and tell them hello. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so how about this one? It's National Name Yourself Day. So if you could huh. name yourself, what would it be? And, and you know, if I could name myself, I don't know what the hell I would pick. Do you, Corey? Does anything come yeah, to mind? Yeah, I, I kind of like my name. Yeah, I don't mind mine either. <laughs> so name myself day. How about if if you let your friends name you, what would your name be? Now, my name, if, if I let all my friends name me, the names would be the gamut, you know, from, from yeah. uh, 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 some very positive, some comically very, very negative. Okay. It's also National Winston Churchill Day. So we should all grow our eyebrows. Uh, it's National Chinese Almond Cookie Day. Hmm. Huh. How about this one? It's National Former Prisoner of War Recognition Day. Oh, okay. That's a good and, one. And Tuesday. This is Tuesday. And Tuesday is National Library Workers Day. So that's what you have to look forward to tomorrow on Tuesday. Pretty cool. Boy, there's nothing more important than your employees in a small business. That's why when it's time to make a hire for your small business, naturally you want to find the best person for the job. Odds are that person is on LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs makes it easy to get matched with quality candidates who make the most sense for your role. And LinkedIn Job uses knowledge of both hard skills and soft skills to match you with the people who fit your role the best. People come to LinkedIn every day to learn and advance their careers, so LinkedIn understands what they're interested in and looking for, which means when you use LinkedIn Jobs to hire someone, your matches are based on so much more than a resume. Your LinkedIn Jobs matches are based on skills and background, sure, but also interests, activities, and passions. Matching lets you quickly get a group of the most relevant qualified candidates for your role. That way you can focus on the candidates you want to spend time talking to and make quality hires you're excited about. Customers rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires. Post a job today at linkedin.com slash Taffer and get $50 off your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash Taffer. It's a great week, Corey. It's an exciting week because Wednesday, the turn, hump day, Starts with National Encourage Young Writer Day, International Siblings Day. How about this one? You're going to like this one, Corey. National Cinnamon Crescent Day. Ooh. Now, I haven't seen a cinnamon crescent. Yeah. So I'm guessing this must have been an act of the 18 freaking hundreds or yeah. something. And they probably meant, you know, a cinnamon roll, right? Or, or right. a cinnamon cake. Or, anyway, a cinnamon crescent. So Wednesday is also National Farm Animals Day. Uh, it's also National Bookmobile Day. Interesting. I wonder if any bookmobiles are going to run into animals on that day. On Thursday, the excitement continues, Corey. We have National Barbershop Quartet Day. <laughs> and if you don't like that, you can go hide under the water because it's also on Thursday, National Submarine Day. And National Teach Children to Save Day. You know, years ago when my daughter was young, I taught her to say, if I did it a really cool way, we were having breakfast one morning. And I was talking to her about money and taxes, and I was trying to teach her. She was six or eight, I guess. And I took a, a box of Cheerios, and I dumped the Cheerios on the kitchen table. I don't know, maybe 100, 120 Cheerios were in a pile on the table. And I said to her, okay, this is Daddy's money. And I pointed to the whole pile of Cheerios. And I said, nah, uh, Daddy's got to pay for the house, right? She goes, yeah. I said, that's 20 Cheerios. And I slide them over to the corner. Then I said, I got to buy the cars and put gas in the car, right? She goes, yeah, 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 yeah. I said, it's another 10 Cheerios. I slipped them in the corner. Then we've got to take our vacation. Well, yep, yep, yep. Slide some Cheerios in the corner. Then you want me to buy this, right? Yep, yep. Slide some Cheerios in the corner. And the light, slide some Cheerios in the corner. Insurance, blah, 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 blah. And when we were finished, now we had about 10 Cheerios left, and she wanted me to buy her something. And uh, I didn't have enough Cheerios. And at six years old, she completely freaking got it. When I did that to her. Wow. And uh, she used to say the strangest of things like in a store, if I asked for a receipt when she was six or seven years old, she'd look up at me and she'd say, for tax purposes? And she had no idea what tax purposes freaking meant. Right. But she would say things like that. That's funny stuff. Anyway, so that's what we have to look forward to uh, on uh, uh, Thursday. And there's two more days. So I don't want to cut us short because these are pretty exciting ones. National 8-Track Tape Day is Thursday. Oh, man, that's a, that's a throwback. <laughs> and National Pet Day. 
Now, it's interesting how each one of these days comes to pass because there's some congressman or senator somewhere who made these things happen. For example, on Thursday, it's also National Cheese Fondue Day. Now, what congressman or senator was interested in cheese frickin' fondue? But somebody had a motive to create an act that created National Cheese Fondue Day. Also Thursday's National Supported Teen Literature Day. I don't know how much teen literature, or how much literature I've read written by teens, but it's also National Alcohol Screening Day. So, uh, Corey, what 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 liquor do you drink? Vodka, gin, tequila? Uh, more of a whiskey. Whiskey guy. Okay, whiskey you pass your screening. Did. I'm going to check you off for whiskey. It's time for you to move on. Okay. <laughs> Friday, big day. Friday. National, oh, I don't understand this one at all, National Big Wind Day. Big wind. Now, is it like weather wind, right. like, or is it fart day? Oh, what is it? That makes sense. I don't know which like it is, but National Big Wind Day. It's also National Licorice Day. You know, sometimes a fart can smell a little, a little bit like licorice, don't you think? Yeah, black so, licorice. So I, I, wonder, I wonder if those two days are connected. It's also National Grilled Cheese Sandwich Day. So Friday's a big day, everybody. Yeah, it is. National Colorado Day. National Day of Silence. So April 12th, Friday, is our National Day of Silence. So are we not allowed to talk? Or fart. We, we can't. Well, I think that's it. I get it. See, it's National Big Wind Day, so you're not supposed to talk so that you can hear the farts. I'm oh, guessing. Okay. There See, go. there's the connection right there. <laughs> so that's what's going on next week. We should all plan our social calendars accordingly. <laughs> and uh, there's a couple of important days that actually happened in our history that I'm going to talk about that happened today. So in uh, 1865, Robert E. Lee surrendered this week. In 1940, today, Germany invaded Norwalk and Denmark. We all know how that worked out. Yeah. In 1942, the Philippines surrendered to Japanese. That, Corey, is why there's more Japanese restaurants in America than Philippine restaurants in America. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. In 1947, we had a tornado that killed uh, 200 people, wiped out 1,000 homes in Oklahoma. Jeez. In 1959... Today, America's first astronauts were hired. Scott Carpenter, John Glenn, Gus Grissom, all those guys. Uh, in 1984, the U.S. miners, the United Kingdom miners went on strike. And it was really, really violent. I remember that. In 1992, Manuel Noriega was busted in Miami. We got the son of a gun. In 2001, TWA went bankrupt, belly up, and American Airlines bought them. And became the world's largest carrier today in 2001. In 2008, in San Francisco, the Olympic torch protests. Here's a really fascinating one, Corey. In 2009, U.S. black sites were closed. So what it, the U.S. had stopped running its global network of secret prisons, according to CIA Director Leon Panetta at the time. This quote, the CIA no longer operates detention facilities or black sites, he has written. He went on to say that the and any remaining sites would be decommissioned. Black sites have been used to detain terror suspects, blah, 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 blah. I didn't even know they had black yeah, was... site prisons, did you? No. Wow. I guess that's why they're black site, isn't right. it? In 2011, Congress agreed on a budget deal. Whoop the freaking dude. That was like the first time that happened in 20 years. Corey, where did that get us? With $23 trillion in debt, for Christ's sake. Yeah. So I read something like that, I laugh at it. And those are the things that happened today. But you know what else is interesting that's going on in the news today is is um, this whole health care thing. And this is not a political show. And we don't talk about political things all that often. There's a lot going on in that, that but, world. But, man, there is. And, and uh, I mean, look, you're a young guy, Corey, and I know what, what your medical insurance costs because I co-pay it with you, of course. Right. And it's not cheap, man, for a young guy like yourself. Yeah. And, and you know, people say uh, it's not a crisis, not a crisis. Man, it costs you thousands of dollars a year, and it's sort of a bummer. But uh, uh, <laughs> I had to tell you this story. In Roger, Arkansas... Two guys shot each other taking turns wearing a bulletproof vest. <laughs> now, what kind of moron does this? So these guys are out on the back deck of their house, shit-faced drunk. 
and they're putting on this this uh, uh, vest that they have, and they're shooting each other with the twenty two caliber rifle. And the neighbor catches them doing that and pulls up and arrests them for firing a weapon, obviously, in, in a residential neighborhood. Oh, they got arrested? Yes. <laughs> uh, this was a pretty good one. In Philippines, Customs seized a 757 tarantulas. What? And it was a shipment of $5,900. So for 5900 bucks, buddy, you can buy about 750 tarantulas if oh, you want. It's good to know. It's good to know. Just to, if yeah. you got an enemies list. Yeah. That, that could be very, very effective. All right, so, Corey, I'm reading stuff on health care here. What do you think you spend a month on your health care? And you're a young guy. Yeah. You're not even 30. What do you spend on health care a month? Oh, about? man, it's got to be at least $1,000 a month. 1000 a month. So you're spending about $12,000 a year. Yeah. And you still go to drugstores and pay for drugs and stuff or if you need something, right? Yep. So have you gotten a prescription lately from your doctor? Um, Not lately. I mean, just like your your standard, you know, antid- antibiotics. And antibiotics, stuff. yeah. Did you pay for them or did you have to – or did the insurance company pay for them when you got them? Insurance did. I think I paid like $4 out of pocket though. Oh, okay. So it wasn't too bad. It wasn't too bad. And do you, do you co-pay any of your doctor visits? Um, I don't believe I do. Okay. So you have a pretty good medical plan. Yeah, I think so. Cool. Oh, I'm proud of myself then. That, <laughs> that's our company medical plan. Yeah. So I'm good to hear that. But the bummer is it's still it's still 12000 freaking dollars right. a year. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, when people say, it's, you know, what is going on with health care and, you know, what, how does it affect our lives? Well, I can tell you this as an employer who loves the people that work for me. And I try to pay everybody well. I, I try to make sure we have a really good benefits package and a 401k package. And, you know, I, I got us the best medical plan, Corey, we can get in the state. Uh, um, and, you know, I contribute payment to it more than most companies do. So I try really hard. And as an employer, shit, man, it's expensive, the copay that I have for all you guys. Oh, I can't imagine. So, you know, as employers like me, our attitude is we don't pay 100% of it because we we, we want to know that you guys want to buy it in the first place. If you're not going to buy it, then we're not going to. So, so we contribute with you. We co-pay it with the And, and uh, when you have a bunch of employees, man, it's a lot of freaking money. And I know for myself, a lot of the drugs I have to pay by myself uh, or split them or uh, there's a, a max in a year, whatever it is. But it, it's really screwed up. And, and when you think about the fact that, Corey, you can go to a hospital and get your knee done, right, redone or right. rebuilt, and it'll cost you, let's say, $5,000. Mm-hmm. I can go in a hospital, same hospital, same operating room, same freaking doctor, and get my knee done, and it's $12,000. And there's there's nobody pays the same price for anything. The right. whole system is freaking either it's rigged or it's foolish, but but I know this. This isn't a political show, and we're not really uh, 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 issues-oriented other than being an advocate for small business. But uh, uh, this is a fascinating topic to me. How did it get so freaking screwed up? How do you fix something like this? How do we get costs under control? How do we you know, take care of people and have it not wipe out the people who are contributing to the ones that can't pay? Now, how do we set this up, Corey, so that you as a young guy aren't paying for the old people uh, who go all the time for medical care? Well, right. I'm really curious. So I thought I would reach out and really get some great individual to have a great layperson's discussion. And I almost want to entitle this, what the F is with this whole health care thing? What does it mean to us? What's going on? Putting away politics, looking at the issues. So I thought to myself, who would be the best person to bring on the show that I could talk to that we could really, no BS, give us to a straight uh, without a, a Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative uh, 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 slant or lean whatsoever? So I thought I'd reach out and get just the right guy to do it. And Mark Bertolini was the CEO of Aetna. I mean, Mark has been in the healthcare and healthcare insurance business his whole professional career. He's one of the most knowledgeable in the industry. And I wanted to take a snapshot of this and address it from a layperson's viewpoint. What's going on with healthcare? Why is it so screwed up? What does it mean to us? And how do we fix it? So when I come back, I'm going to be with Mark. And let's figure out what the hell is going to be with the future of healthcare. We'll be right back with Mark Bertolini. 
Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. Want to talk to John? Email him now at podcast at johntaffer.com. 60 seconds. That's exactly how long this commercial lasts. And you know what else you can do in about a minute? Get an offer for your car with True Car. That's right. In the amount of time it takes to floss your teeth, pet your dog, do a few sit-ups, or just listen to my voice, you can get a True Cash offer. Best of all, you can do it from your smartphone or home. Just go to True Car and simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop up. Answer a few questions and you'll get an accurate True Cash offer from a local True Car certified dealer. It's that easy. After that, you can bring your car in and they'll check it out with you together. You can ask questions and get the answers you need so there's no surprises. Then, simply leave with your check or trade in your car for a new ride. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. Taffer's back. This is No Excuses with John Taffer. You know, for people who don't know you, Mark, your story is really inspiring. You actually uh, grew up in Detroit, I believe, right? In the Detroit area? I did. I did. And then, First on the east side and then uh, just in the suburbs, yeah. Yep, I used to spend a lot of time in Detroit. I had a bartending school on Adams Circle, if I'm not mistaken, uh, downtown Detroit many, many years ago. And I lived in a poncha train for weeks at a time, which I don't believe is there anymore. But your story is amazing to me. You flunked out of college. And then you came twice. back twice. Yep. And I want to hear the story. And then you twice. came back. And got an MBA and wound up running, uh, you know, a Fortune 50 company. What happened when you flunked out? I want to hear the story. I, um, um, the first time I flunked out, I went and got um, a paramedic license, um, an EMT2 at um, Receiving Hospital and tried that for a while. And that didn't um, work for me. And that helped me verify that my... Um, my, my undergrad and pre-med probably wasn't the right track. Um, and then, um, I got a plant, a job at the Ford Sterling gear and axle plant and got in a fight with my union steward over a work rule. And I'm standing there in my coveralls and my helmet and my goggles and my gloves. I got a cigarette hanging out of my mouth. (laughs) And, and I looked at him and he's standing there in his khaki pants and his white shirt and his red tie. I said, how do I get your job? He says, you got to have a degree kid. So went home, looked at the course book, um, figured out what classes I could keep, figured out what classes I could have passed if I had just attended them, and then said, you know, here are the classes I shouldn't take again, like organic chemistry. And the quickest way out from that point was an accounting degree, interestingly enough, and I applied to the business school. And even with my 2.1 grade point average, um, I still got um, into the school and and aced it the rest of the way. So, so were you un, you so, weren't undisciplined when you left school the first time. You just didn't know what career direction you wanted. I'm guessing. I so, wasn't motivated to do the work, right? Yeah. So something happened between that first and second time in school where you changed and you suddenly became motivated. Did you know that when it was happening? I, you know, once I figured that I could um, pursue an academic pursuit that actually worked for me. Um, you know, I, I recognized I had a photographic memory and a friend of mine was studying for the GMATs and I was helping him with the Barron's books. So you ought to take the exam. So I took the exam, placed in the top percentile in the country. And I started getting offers from graduate schools of business. And so I looked at a few schools. Cornell looked great. Um, it was in the country. It was a cool place. Yep, beautiful. You could drink beer. You could party. <laughs> and um, and so I applied for the program there and got in the MBA program of finance. And so, um, you know, I figured math, finance, that all works. Accounting works. And um, I, you know, um, did really well in the finance program and was looking to Wall Street or to um, um, consulting when a friend of mine called me and said, you know, we've got $12 million of other people's money. You want to start an HMO? I said, what the hell is an HMO? And he sent me the red herring for the U.S. Healthcare public offering in 1981, mm-hmm. which had been three years, two or three years prior to that. I said, sure, let's give it a try. Allow me to go back home to Detroit. Um, my wife wanted to go back to Detroit, so um, it, it, it worked out. And then you, you evolved to become one of the most powerful people in healthcare in America, one of the biggest influence in healthcare, no question. 
I, I, you know, I think, I think this is, I'm a, it's a perfect example of a blind squirrel finding an acorn. It's just the, the stars aligned. And, you know, I've never really, I always tell graduates, you know, college students this, I've never had a goal in life. Um, I've always wanted to be relevant. I wanted to have impact, but I've, it's not been about my name. It's about, you know, being willing to speak the truth, power, you know, truth to power and, and, and providing input and, and shaping things as I go along versus having some, you know, distant goal that quite frankly, um, as we all know now in this ever changing world are kind of unrealistic um, and, and, you know, to make the best of the situation I was in. So, you know, I, I, I guess my, my, my personality and my um, tireless commitment to try and be relevant um, and help people actually fit well with the times. Sure, it did. Cause it, the, the, yep, the stars aligned, certainly. You know, that's a really powerful thing. So few of us wind up being in the careers that we intended. You know, John Lennon, you'll smile, Mark. John Lennon once said, life is, John Lennon once said, life is what happens when you make other plans. Here you, you studied accounting and financing, and, and you wound up running some of the largest healthcare organizations in the world and have a real passion for healthcare. So I want to talk about a few things. This is not a political show at all. But there's a couple of things about, yep. excuse me, a couple of things about healthcare and, and that I'd love to know about from you. And our listeners would love certain things qualified, if if we will. You ran uh, healthcare, uh, Aetna, when when um, Obamacare, the ACA Act, came into place, and all the exchanges and such. And during that period, the exchanges cut back, and and, and obviously uh, ACA was modified. Why? And I'm going to ask such simple questions of you today, Mark. Because again, we're not. This is not a political or or a, a detailed business show. But why do we have a healthcare crisis? Because we have the model all wrong. And the way I like to explain it, John, is to use an automobile analogy. When you buy a car, you don't go to GMAC, finance it first, and then go buy it. What you do is you describe your ambitions for transportation. You know, I have four motorcycles and a pickup truck in the garage. They're always clean. They're trickle-charged. They're gassed up so that whenever I'm in town, I can go out and ride wherever I want to go. My wife, on the other hand, she has a 2002 Subaru with one headlight dented fenders. It gets washed by God, and it goes to the shop when it doesn't start. And so our ambitions for transportation are substantively different. So we would finance that investment versus financing some unknown thing and turning around and figuring out what the investment is afterward. And so for most Americans, we in essence sell a warranty card to people called a health insurance card. Mm -hmm. They come to the financing entity for it. And when they break, they present themselves to a dealership that is extremely costly because the dealership may not be the right one for them, but it's the only entry point they have into the system. And so we spend a lot of money trying to figure that all out. And it's usually a break fix operation versus a focus on what is it about my health that gets in the way of the life I want to lead and what investments am I willing to make and finance to allow me to live the life I want to lead by taking care of myself. In essence, that should be how the healthcare system runs. In essence, it's backwards. In essence, it's totally backwards. Yep. So, totally. so, so what always uh, 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 I found fascinating, and I've read a lot about it. I'm a, pro, a pretty political and, and policy-oriented person. I could never understand how we reconcile different prices to people for the same procedures, even from the same hospital. And the logic, and I guess that goes back to the backwards that you were talking about, where prices are negotiated, I guess, on a contractual basis than, rather than a per-patient basis. But how does that happen? How does somebody pay $1,000 more for the same knee in the same hospital on the same day? In, in part because it's all a spot market. What do you mean? It would be like if we bought, if we bought oil on the spot market every day for our car, if we bought gasoline on the spot market. Um, and we paid for it, um, you know, whatever the, the going rate was in the commodities marketplace. Mm-hmm. It's really, it, it, we treat everything as a commodity, but it's at that point in time, in that specific place, for that specific individual, that creates a spot market that has no market efficiency. Yep. There's no way 
to make that market efficient. And as a result, it's whatever the price will bear. The second part is, and probably the biggest one, is the person who uses the service never really knows how much it costs. Right. And they could be choosing the, the most expensive option uh, when there were other options, but they're, they're, they're ignorant. They don't know. Steve Bird, former CEO of Safeway, put it to me this way when we spent some time talking about it. Imagine going into a supermarket. You go down the aisles. There are no prices on anything. You put them in the basket. You get up to the cash register. The cash person puts it in, but there's no screen to show you how much everything costs. At the end of it, they put it in a bag, and they say, we'll send you a bill for it 30 days from now. Would you ever shop in that grocery store? Of course not. But that's the way our system works. Right. And it's remarkable to me that, that's that, the way our system works. that there is no direct correlation between pricing and value and consistency. And, you know, in, in a world where we look so much at discriminatory and unfair pricing and, and predatory pricing and things like that, it's interesting how none of this is assessed within the healthcare industry. It's, it's a bit fascinating, isn't it? It is, and it's a problem worldwide. So over the last five years, Aetna has paid for health care in every country in the world, and every country suffers from this. Wherever there's socialized medicine, there's also a private medicine market where people that have the money yeah. can buy separate insurance policies to get what they need when they want it. Of course. Instead people, of queuing up. Of course. And so the, 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 there are these two or three tiered systems almost everywhere around the world, with the exception of one or two countries. And I know that you believe, because I, I believe I read it, so I don't want to assume it. I'll ask you. You believe in universal health care. Totally. And, I do. And explain and, and, the and difference. And the model's not a health care model. If you would explain the difference between okay. universal health care and socialized health care for the listeners. Single payer or socialized health care is a way of financing health care. Universal health care is about the access to health care. And, and, and so the financing most of the time doesn't get in the way of people getting access for health care. Most people can get health care where they want. It's not great health care. It's not efficient health care. Um, but when you start again with the financing, you always get the sort of view that whatever the underlying investment is, is going to be appropriate, and it's not. So if you think about universal health care, I'll take you to a bigger macroeconomic issue. Business people for decades, for centuries, have been taught that you husband scarce resources and you put at risk plentiful resources. And for all, for most of the, the last, with the exception of the last 20, 25 years, I would argue, the scarce resources were financial capital and the plentiful resources was human capital. Just put another person on the line, put another person at the machine, put another one on the sewing machine, put another one in line in the queue. And, and so we would put at risk human capital mm in exchange for the scarcity of financial capital. That flipped 25 years ago. Hmm. Financial capital is falling. Look at the, look at the yield curve. I mean, where you can borrow for 2.8% out 10 years. I mean, unheard of kind of stuff. When I was in college at Wayne State back in the, in the early 80s, the, the interest rates were, you know, 15, 16, 18%. I remember. And, and so if you think about now that financial capital is plentiful and human capital by virtue of our lack of investment in health, mm-hmm. our lack of investment in education, human capital is now so scarce, we run the real risk and not measuring it effectively of hollowing out the bottom of our economy and having it all fall apart by virtue of not taking the time to invest in human capital. And healthcare, in my point of view, is 180 degrees from poverty. If you are healthy, you can reskill. If you are healthy, you can learn. If you are healthy, you will move. And what we're seeing with opioid epidemic, what we're seeing with lack of labor mobility and a productivity that's been flat for virtually the last five to six years is that people have given up. You know, it's interesting is I'm on the board of the Cleveland Clinic, Nevada, and I work with uh, uh, uh uh, keep memory alive and Alzheimer's and Huntington's and Parkinson's and things like that are, are my causes. And uh, we were over uh, uh, at a board meeting a few months ago, and, and uh, it was discussed how all of the economic growth that we're sustaining as a country is more due to us living longer than an increase in population. 
And it's these extra years that we live in the productivity of those extra years that is really driving our growth because our population growth is not what it used to be. So if we look at that economic indicator and say that, boy, you know, health is more important to income and, and countries' well-being than ever before because living longer is, a, is an important part of the economic structure of our country in today's environment. Do you agree with that? Totally. Our drug problem is not an urban problem. It is a rural problem. We have lost rural America. Yeah. And people have given up because a lot of what goes on at the local community level has fallen apart in a lot of places. Yeah. And, and so if you think about our social ecosystems and our economic e- ecosystems and how large and pervasive they have become, look at what's going on between Facebook and the federal government. Look yeah. what's going on with the tariffs and economies around the world. And I think the only way for our governments to get big enough would be to create a new world order, which nobody wants. We're too heterogeneous as a population. But what if we went back to community, like the mid-1800s in agrarian society where people didn't fall through the cracks? What if we went back to placemaking? What if we went back to places like you were in Puerto Rico and rescuing the school and rescuing sports and Mm -hmm. rescuing fresh water and do that at the community level? We have a chance of revitalizing our economy, and it's all around health. There's a lack of dynamism, and it's all around this idea that I just can't do it anymore. Yeah, I agree. I always use the term we need to do it from the inside out, not the outside in. And, and you know, that, that to me, I agree yep. with you, is the only way that that works. I got a tough question for you, Mark, and I know you love tough questions. Mm-hmm. Do people have a right to health care? People have a right to be taken care of. And we have a right to take care of others. So one of the things I talk about in the book is the four levels of Taoist leadership. And, you know, the first level of Taoist leadership is people hate the leader. The second level of Taoist leadership is they fear the leader. And we might be in that sort of place right now as a nation. The Mm -hmm. third is that people praise their leader. The fourth is, is that the leader's invisible and not necessary because we've engaged everyone in the community in leadership. Uh, And in my organization, we were able to accomplish that over the last five, six years, where our employees put together their PTO time to help families that were in need among our employee base. Mm -hmm. We moved our employees out of harm's way whenever there was a natural disaster. We did all those things, not because I told people to do it, but because the organization got permission to take care of each other. And that's all people needed, and then they stepped up, didn't they? They did. Yep, yep. Who doesn't want to take care of somebody that needs it? Of course. We live for those moments when we can step up and come through for each other. Uh, uh, We don't often are are not given that opportunity as much as we could. Or sometimes we feel inappropriate stepping forward, which is crazy. But, you know, the political correctness of our society makes us not want to know about other people's problems sometimes. And that's not a good thing either. So I want to close with with a, a really question that, that, you know, nobody really asks in a way that I want to ask it. You know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of you, your work, you know, the good that you've done for people. You wake up every day and you work on ways to people to be better cared for, have better access to care, better access to health, etc. But, you know, when people look at companies like Aetna, AT&T, General Motors, they always put a stereotype upon companies like that, that they do bad, they take from us, they don't have integrity, they're going to rip us off, they're going to this, they're going to that. I don't feel that way because I work with these companies every day. I want to ask you a question and I want to give you a moment to answer it. As one who's been in that corporate world, been with the financiers, been with that Fortune 50 group, gone to the events, had dinner with peer CEOs and executives, do corporations give back? Yes, and, and in a lot of ways, people never see. Um, you know, um, when our employees at Aetna gave up you know, 400,000 volunteer hours every year, we matched their giving uh, up to $5,000 per employee. So it was about 5 to $7 million a year through our own foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we support them in a lot of ways. And a lot of corporations do that. Um, and I think... A lot of corporations do it and don't brag about it. Uh, They just do it because it's a good thing to do. Now, there are a lot of corporations that don't. Um, And part of what we did when we raised our minimum wage and eliminated out-of-pocket costs for our frontline employees 
for healthcare is we create this thing called the Aetna Social Compact dot com for other companies to look at. Mm-hmm. How could you raise your minimum wage from twelve to sixteen dollars an hour? Why would you do these things? You know, why does it make sense? And a lot of companies looked at it, and a lot of companies followed in our footsteps. Over, you know, we did this in two thousand fourteen. So over the following five years, a lot of companies have have followed suit because it makes sense when you look at the results. Yeah. And and so I think part of I think I was one of the co-founders of Fix the Debt back in 2011, 2012, when the budget looked like it was going to blow up back in the good old days. Yep. And and we were going to pressure the federal government as businesses to get the debt under control. And what I realized after that year and a half, two years, is that that was a futile effort. And then unless we do, again, going back to smaller organizations where I don't have a democracy in my company, I have an autocracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, my government inside my company looks more like, you know, a state-sponsored capitalism instead of, you know, um, um, a democratic capitalism. Mm-hmm. But if I make the investments and I show people how it can work and others follow, that is huge. And so start from within, and then when the federal government comes knocking, say, here's how you can help me today, yeah. instead of telling them what they need to do in order for us to do it. Yeah, and I think that's it's more and more corporations are... It's it's pollinating a culture change in essence, right? Pollinating it and justifying it, and, and hopefully watching it grow. You know what? What I think a That's lot. A, of, and, and I think, and I think, it, and I think, in the end of the day, John, I think what will happen is, and just the latest survey results show that the most credible institution in America right now is the corporation. Scary mm-hmm. as that may seem, yep. low bar everywhere else. But you know, it's an opportunity, I think, for organizations to step forward. And show that it does matter and that people do matter to them, that their employees are important. Yep. And boy, do I agree. And I think what a lot of people sometimes forget when they look at huge companies like Aetna is that behind that company is a man like you, Mark, who, you know, had your own injuries in life, had your own family issues in life, you know, wake up every morning to try to do good, not bad. And, and the whole stereotype that huge corporations are bad and all they want to do is take advantage. The reality of it is that's just generally not true. And great companies are run by great individuals like you. And it shows when you retired, you kept going. You're still focused on getting people better care and trying to make our lives better. And I thank you for that, Mark. Thanks a lot. Well, thank you, John. I'm humbled by that comment. Thank you very much. No, it's a pleasure. And hopefully we get to talk again soon. It'll be interesting to talk after they figure out the whole healthcare crisis and direction. I'd love to have you back and, and assess what they've done. And where can people find out about your book? Um, they can find out about it on Amazon. Um, and I have an Amazon author's page. Um, it's got a Kindle format, an audio format, and a printed format, a hardcover format. So um, we've been out probably two weeks now. And so it's, uh, it's perking along. Uh, congratulations. I'm going to go get mine today. A pleasure, Mark. Take care. I look forward to speaking again. Thank you so much, John. Bye-bye. We'll be right back with audience callers in just a minute. Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. Now on Podcast One. Could this be a serial killer? You'd never think it could happen in a community like this. Cold Case Files, Season 4. The case would take several twists and turns. I mean, you're kind of, in essence, looking for a needle in a haystack. Based on the hit A&E television program. Now it starts to fit. The discovery will seal the fate of a serial killer. So I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. She just screams and pleads for her life. Get new episodes of Cold Case Files every Tuesday on Podcast One. All right, John, new week and new callers. Let's get Shut it. it down. First up, we have Anthony from Long Island. Anthony, how are you, my friend? John. So you've got a bit of... Show all the time. Big fan, big fan. I'm thank sweating you. here talking to you right now. Uh, <laughs> thank you, buddy. I'm, I'm enjoying your accent, man. Uh, you know, sitting on the West Coast as an East Coast boy, I sort of missed that accent a little bit, Anthony. Uh-oh. But, I, I don't even know I have one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you got a bit of a family dilemma. So if I'm reading I your do. email right, you've been working with your dad for 37 years. The 37 two of you, years. Wow. The two of you built the business together, right? And obviously, it, it, if it wasn't successful, you wouldn't have been there 37 years. So obviously, exactly. you made a living. Your father made a living. What's going on now? Um, basically, he's, he's running into the ground, and um, his mouth— He's, he's, he thinks 
he can say and do whatever he wants. It's his opinions. And I keep trying to tell him it's dude, you, dad, you, you don't talk politics. It's yes, ma'am. How's the family? How's the food? How's everything going? I mean, he spills out unions suck. There's five union guys on the bar. Check, right. please. They don't, they're not coming back. Right. You know, uh, Democrats suck. Republicans this, that, and, and people just get up there. There's nobody left in the place. So he's, he, he's, he's actually going to the, to the electric company every week at this point to give them money to keep the electric on. Oh, my gosh. So obviously you've confronted him with this. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm in the car right now with my girlfriend, and um, I, I'm I've I've gone from making almost a thousand dollars a week to to 150 at this point, and I can't I can't survive paying my bills at this point anymore. I'm oh. selling personal things out of my safe. I mean, I, I've been an avid coin collector for 20 some odd years. I'm selling everything oh, yeah. just to stay afloat myself. And I lent I gave the man twenty five thousand dollars. Because you said, "Oh, this will this will keep us afloat, you know, till better times." So it's it, gone already. So, so it sounds that way to me. If in, in essence you're fighting to keep the lights on, then yeah. there's debt. I'm guessing maybe some taxes might be behind. God knows what else. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's behind on the taxes. He's behind on the mortgage. Who owns the and, business? Does he own 100 percent of it? Yeah, it, I mean the business that I mean, you know, the building, the property. He basically stole from his own mother. Um, I was promised everything right out of high school. I was, I was supposed to be a deputy sheriff cop. I was, I worked at the sheriff's office for two years. I was going, I was training to be a police officer. I'd be retired right now with a pension. Of course you would. And he talked me into this telling me one day this will all be yours. And look at, look at the life you lived, you know, growing up with all the money and this and that. And it's the place was successful back in the seventies and eighties. That was a long time ago. so let me you know, ask you a question, Anthony. Let's let's deal with the reality of it here. You're loyal to your father. Is your mom yeah. still alive? My mom is alive. I just left her, but she's um, she's got dementia at this point. Oh, okay, so so are they still together? No. Okay. So your dad lives alone. He's he's bitter. He's got this business. He's going down the tubes. He's 80 years old. Does he have a pension and a retirement in place? No, nothing. He this is his livelihood. He's trying to. He's actually trying to sell the business now for five hundred thousand dollars, and I'm telling him there's no business left. How could you, you? You can't even pay anybody at this point. Yeah, I, you know, he's paying everybody else but me at this point, and he's telling me to write things down when, when I sell the place and this and that. And I'm like, it's just not. Here's what I would suggest I mean, that you did, and I've done this on Bar Rescue, and you've seen me deal with this exact issue on Bar Rescue. You have. If you think yeah, about I've it, I've watched all your shows. So I've dealt with this uh, before. Here's what I think you need to do. And, and what is your girlfriend listening? You want to speak her phone? Yeah, yeah, what's, you're on. What's her name? Laura. Laura, you tell me if you think I'm right or not when I'm finished, okay? Okay, you got it. So this business is going to close. Anthony, he doesn't have the money to sustain it. He's not going to change anything. You can't change the course. It's in debt. You have a responsibility to yourself, to your girlfriend, and to your own future. Your father has a responsibility for himself and his own future. If this place is going to close, either you need to start looking for a job now and prepare for it so that you're ready for it when it does, or you're going to get caught with your pants down, and that you don't want to do. I would yeah. get, I would sit down with my father, and Laura, do you know his dad? Yeah. So are you are you close? Have you guys been together a long time? I don't want no. to lie, but I... How he is, and he basically just sits at the bar and tells those stories. And you know, he's just got a mindset that um, you know it's a family restaurant bar, and it's never going to go anywhere. But I can tell you, it's it's in a great location, and you know, I can see it thriving. You know, with the ideas that Anthony has, but at the same time, you can't have this person there. You know, he's got to kind of like be out of the picture. Yeah, the old man's just got to yeah. get out of there. But, okay, yeah, I got a plan yeah. for you. I got a plan for okay. you. It's a three-step plan. Number one, you go and you sit down with your father. It's going to be very hard for you, Anthony, but you need to do it. You look at him and you say, Dad, the business is failing. It's going to close. I have to think of myself. I'm going to go get a job. I'm done. I fi- I'm done at the end of the week. Unless you give me 50% of the business. Dad, either you give me 50% of the business or I'm going to leave, and I mean it. I am going to quit and walk out. And, Laura, if you could be sitting next to him, so you turn to your girlfriend and you say, Laura, I promise you, 
if he doesn't give me 50% of this business in 48 hours, I am going to quit and leave him alone and, and go pursue my own career. Now. Well, he, he claims I have 50% of great. the business. Great. Just so make him do it. on paper. So make him do it. You can go to bizcouncil.com. You can go to other sources. You can have a little document, two paragraphs done immediately. That says you know the name of the corporation, et cetera, correct? Yeah. That says by right you now own fifty percent of the business and all of its assets. You, well, that, if now, I do that, though, do I inherit half the debt of everything that he's done? Well, hold on. Does he own the real estate and the building and the business? He's got a mortgage on it. But does is there any asset value in that? Uh, and the building and property. Possibly. I mean, at this point, he's got like $300,000 again on the business, I'm, I'm on the building and property, and he's two months behind on that, and like $50,000 behind in taxes. Well, here's, here's, what I, well, here's what I would do. and This was a three-step plan, and, and, and I'm, I'm going to assume your numbers would work if you did this. You get him to give you a piece of paper. He says, Ed, you promised me the 50%. Sign here so I have it. He signs for the 50%. You then come back to him two days later. Let him bring a broker in and get the business valued. Let's say the business is valued at $200,000 for conversation's sake. Okay. You own 50% of it. You tell him, Dad, I'll give you $100,000. you are out of here. So what you've done is you've set yourself up to take him out. That's why I want you to have the 50%. All right. Okay. Make okay. sense? I, yeah. It's a three-step plan. It's telling him that he either has to sign the document. He verbally promised you this. You need to sign it. Now. If you let it close, you could do an asset sale and still buy the building and the lease, and there's ways to get through that. Also, if you did buy him out, creditors will work with you. There's ways to deal with that. My point is this. Anthony, if you could get that building and that business in control of it yourself for $100,000, dollars would you want it? Yeah, I, I know I could turn the place around. It's just it's, it's then the remodeling of it all because the place is – it, it's so outdated and crumbling. Like I said, he's run it so far into the ground. So you got a, you got you know, a friend that I've been putting into it. I've been trying to do my own renovations with my own money, and um, um, it's it's from 1852. It's the second oldest restaurant pub in the state of New York. Well, see, that's Still really really marketable. Thing. That's really really a marketable thing in and of itself. That history. So here's. Yeah. Do you have any friends with some money? Uh, not really. <laughs> I've been trying to find friends that have some money to come in to, with as a partner with me. I mean, what if somebody could come in and own fifty percent of it for a hundred grand? That's you know, and then yeah, I work with that person. I mean, and I then had take your father out. In, what in you need to do is you need to exercise a couple moves to get control of the business from your father. You can always give him money to support him. So taking him out of the business doesn't mean that he's going to starve to death or have no place to live, Anthony. They're separate issues. Yeah. Don't let yeah. them become the same freaking issue. But my point is this. You know, business is business. Father's son is father's son. You're always going to make sure he's healthy and has a place to lay his head. I mean, that's never yeah. not going to happen. So this isn't what you're talking about. What you're talking about is making him sign a document for 50% of the business, then looking at him and making a realization it's going to close. But, Dad, I'll take you out for X amount of dollars. Here's 50 grand. Go home. And use it and enjoy yourself. And then for $50,000, yeah. you've got the place. Think about how to exercise that control. If you can't take control of it, then, Anthony, you have to leave. You have no choice. Yeah, no, like I know. Like, I, I want to find a job that was secured that I would get a pension from or something. like. And I had set my own retirement up at this point. Well, did you, you read know, my book, him. No Excuses? Stop BSing yourself. What excuse do you have right now for not moving your life forward? Give me one. I've waited so long for this. Give me one excuse as to why you should not do either go pursue your life or take control of this place. Give me one reason why you shouldn't do those one of those two things. I can't give you an excuse. The only excuse you're going to give me is it's freaking easier to keep it the right. same. Yeah. So I'm yeah, going to say right. to you in front of your girlfriend, Anthony, you got the balls to do this? If you don't, no, I, I, then it's your own I, fault. I, 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 saying the same thing to him and i think it's just because it's the family business he sees all these ideas you know we do go out to restaurants he's like this is what it should be like it should be like this and yeah i, I take know. her to but these, you're, these but restaurants you know. that have copied us you know? but you're you putting know, the two things together you're treating him like a father not a partner 
in the business, but he's you a know partner. What it was, John, I never saw him growing up. I have three memories of a child of me being with my father, only three. And the day I was ready to leave to go to the police academy is when he knocked on my door begging me because my brother and sister wanted nothing to do with the place. And that I, I, I get guilted very easily into doing things for everybody. Well, then, you know, then, then, it's, then, 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 then you're going to allow that guilt to ruin your own life. Listen to me. Is your father miserable in this place? He oh, goes yeah. there. Every- he is now. You know, well, then when, get him out of there. When the place is busy and making money, he pounds his chest like King Kong and thinks, you know, he's on top of the world. But, but the only reason why he's there still is because of me, but he won't give me the credit for it. Well, you have to confront him. Either give you half the business or you have to leave. Is there another option, Anthony? Not really, no. Okay. Is there another option, Laura? Are you coming in and helping? <laughs> <laughs> you need yeah, to get control is, uh... of it. And as if, in fact, you do own 50% of it and, and, and he's honoring his word, then you should know what the books are, who owes what, what's going on, how long the lease commitments are, et cetera, et cetera. You got to get your arms around this. This could be a fantastic opportunity for you. Debt can be restructured. Banks will work with you. You have the second oldest restaurant in the state of New York. Yeah, you have so something who, historic. Well, I'd have to do, I would have to go to a totally different bank because the guy who owns the mortgage on the bank is a privately owned bank. He's the tenth most powerful. You have the second, team. Anthony. You have the second oldest business in the state of New York. In the state, of, been, in the state of New York, and we've been on and, the we've been on the travel channel. Let me finish. Let me finish. You have the second oldest restaurant in the state of New York. You've been there for 37 years. You know that building. You know that business inside out. You know your community inside out. There's one obstacle to your personal success, and what is it? It's getting control of your father and his life. Let him retire. Give him a couple of grand a month. Get control of the business or get control of your life, buddy. That's This is a yeah. personal issue, not a business issue. Every time I Every time I get someone there to talk to him about it, it's like, Give when, me excuses. Should I pull my violin out? It. Anthony, Yeah. no excuses. No guilt. Do you deserve to have a future? I do. Well, then do it. Do it. You don't have to hurt him in the process. Do it. Call me back in a couple weeks. Let me know how you're doing, okay? Okay. Take care. Okay, John. That was Dr. Phil. That was a pretty good call, wow. though. Yeah, that was like an episode of Bar Rescue. <laughs> That's a good call. All right, let's move on. We only have time for one more question, so let's go on over to Eric. Eric, how you doing, man? Good. How are you, John? I'm doing great, buddy. What do you want to talk about today? I just wanted to talk about, uh, you know, different ways I could just probably get my little business off the ground. Okay. What are you thinking? Uh, I, I want to start renting uh, Sprinter vans to studios as oh. rental vehicles, production vehicles. Got you. Do you live in Los Angeles? Yes, I do. Okay. Because nobody from any other city would have said that to me. <laughs> so, because <laughs> obviously. So, uh, uh, um, have you been in that business before? You were a limo driver before, correct? Uh, yes, I was a limo driver before. Uh, no, I was not. No. Uh, I'm I'm on my way to be a local 399 driver. Gotcha. So, do you want, so then as, as a 399 driver, so is your plan then to work driving some studio vehicles, make some contacts, and, and then try to branch out into your own business? Exactly. Yeah, because that's the way to do it, obviously. You, you know that that's a political world, and most of these companies have some pretty long-term contracts, and, and mm-hmm. it's all relationships. So, uh, uh, you know, the best thing for you to do is to go in, be a part of it. You know that's a pretty tight union. Yeah. And everybody knows each other. You guys are on the lots all the time together. Uh, uh, you know, you're at major events together, uh, uh, you know, awards events together, things like that together. So it's a community that you break into. And once you're mm-hmm. in that community, then you leverage some of those relationships and you buy yourself one vehicle, then another. There's a company that I use. It's interesting that you mention this, Eric, because I gave the keynote speech at the uh, a limousine convention last week. Huh. And and right there, of course, the, everybody in the room was talking about how the bus business has exploded. And yes. you know, there's a company, Rob's uh, Transportation, who I do business with in L.A. They've bought two or three of those Sprinter buses now. And uh, oh. so that business is exploding. And it, it's it's a really hot topic. And, and the bus manufacturers were at the convention and the buses are on the show floor. And there's all different size vehicles now. And financing is really attractive on them. Interest rates are really low right now. Uh, uh, so, you know, it's a good time, buddy. And, you know, taxes are lower. 
income is up a little bit. Uh, this is a good time to start a small business, Eric. That's that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to rebound. I don't know if you read if you if you read my note. I, I did. You know, I have two failed limo companies, and yeah, I'm just trying to rebound. You know, I'm not scared of failing, so I'm just want to just throw myself out there again. Well, let me tell you this. You know, there's some people that just are are, are top line oriented, sales oriented. and There's some people that aren't. And, you know, if you've had two limo companies, I'm guessing you had decent vehicles, right? You showed up on time. Yes. You took care of your customers. You did everything right. Yes. But you made a note that you, you're not a marketing sales guy. Exactly. That's well, my downfall right so, there. So how do you fix that? You fix it by partnering up with someone who is. Okay. That's, so, that's a good idea. So, you know, if you had a company three times bigger than the one you'd have alone, half of that is more than you'd have of your own, right? You should find a sa- you should find the sales oriented guy. Say, here's the deal. Uh, I'll come on board. I'll give you commission on everything that you sell. And if you sell X amount in the next year, I'll give you equity in my company. I'll make you a partner. But you got to sell some stuff before I make you a partner. So I'll give you a contract, and it'll tell you. You know, when you get to a certain amount of business, or you achieve this, or achieve that, figure out what a goal is that uh-huh. you'll give him. 10, 20, 30, whatever percent of your business for a dollar. You draw up a simple one or two paragraph, three paragraph agreement, and now you bring in a guy who, who's excited to sell, will go knock on the doors. Maybe he's another driver that you meet, right, who knows the business, but he's more sales-oriented than you. You're more operations-oriented than him, so okay. you can focus on running a company. He can focus on selling it. And, you know, he's a natural sales guy. You're a natural operations guy. Everybody's doing what they're good at. Uh, uh, I would think of going down that kind of route, and you could build a heck of a business if you had a good sales partner. I'm guessing. Yeah, that that that's. I I tried to do everything myself, and you know it didn't work for me. Nah, you know we all need to know what we're really good at. I'm a good rainmaker. I'm really good at driving revenue and promotions and marketing. So I surround myself with great operations people, and great oh. operations people need me because I'm the guy who makes the rain. You know, without me, exactly. nobody has any freaking money. So, 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 find a guy who's comfortable knocking on those doors. Keep your eyes out for another driver. You know, who's like a little okay. sales oriented, promotion oriented. You know the kind of personality we're talking about. And mm-hmm. find mm-hmm. that partner. You know, get yourselves one vehicle, uh, uh, and then hopefully you take it to the promised land. That's what I'm shooting for. Great. Maybe third time's a charm. Maybe it is third term of charm. You know, in, in a lot of businesses, it is, buddy. So, so remember, what you've learned in the past is an asset today. So you have the experience of two failures. That's solid. Yes. You have an experience base now and a, and a knowledge base now that's going to set you up for that third time properly. So fill that sales hole with a good partner, and I, and I think you'll be in good shape, buddy. Good luck. Perfect. Thank you, John. Take care. Another good call. Listen, I'd really love it if you'd be on the show. You can challenge me, argue with me, disagree with me, agree with me, whatever you like. But the more challenging, the better. Just send an email to podcast at johntaffer.com, podcast at johntaffer.com. Corey will open those emails. He'll set it up with you. And then you and I will talk on the podcast and we'll have some fun. And by the way, while you're at it, don't forget to hit subscribe at Apple Podcasts or go to podcast.com or the Podcast One app and you'll get your new episodes every Tuesday. Want to talk to John? Email him now at podcast at johntaffer.com. Well, it was great to have Mark Bertolini here. I think we really did clarify this whole healthcare thing. A little scary that he said uh, he's not confident there's going to be big changes because we really need to make them. But understanding what's going on, I think, is meaningful for us all. Thanks, everybody. Great audience call in this week. I love it. If you'd like to be on a show, don't forget to send an email to podcast at johntaffer.com. Podcast at johntaffer.com, and you can be on the show. Thank you all. That does it for Episode 43. I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.